Welcome to The Reload, where we help unconventional leaders craft the life they truly want by questioning the assumptions they have about how life works. My name is Sean, and I'll be your host on this journey. As a performance coach and special operations combat veteran, I help high-performing executives kick ass in their careers while connecting with deeply powerful insights that fuel their lives. I feel like I should develop some sort of uh, standard greeting because I never really know what to say. Well, I guess leaving that awkward pause hanging, why don't we just move on? So for those who are newer to the show, or maybe this one is actually meant for those who have been listening for a long time, I was recently given some advice by a podcast social media consultant that I should shorten the episodes. So I'm experimenting with this shorter format, at the very least on my solo casts. And if you like it, let me know. You can find me on LinkedIn. If you don't like it, let me know why you don't like it and what would be better. All right. So today is a bit of a companion piece to episode 113, Should You Let Sleeping Dogs Lie? Now, Today, what are we going to be like? What are we going to be? Blah, 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 and I cannot talk today, apparently. So, I'm not editing that out. What are we looking at? We're looking at trauma or even just quote unquote bad experiences or quote unquote failures and how those create marks on our sense of self and how we view the world. But first, let's recognize that quote unquote bad and quote-unquote failure, are often judgments we make about an outcome as it is contrasted with what we had envisioned or that to which we had become attached. If you don't know what I mean by that, that's fine. What I mean, and this is something that, whether it's been in posts that I've created on social media, or whether it's what I've heard from clients, you know, et cetera, et cetera, that whether something was a failure or not is often a product of our own story. You know, and what would be a commonly accessible example? Quarterly earnings or annual earnings of publicly traded corporations at least in the United States, corporations are typically presenting some sort of forecast. We believe that we will make $1 million of profit this year. And if they make $1.5 million, then they're heroes. If they make $0.5 million, then they're losers because they didn't conform to the forecast. And the market, the stock market, tends to punish the losers, quote-unquote, by a dropping price in their share value. And we do the same thing individually or collectively in our family units or in our whatever groups we belong to. And... Sure, 
very frequently are forecasts or our judgments about what success or failure is has some sort of connection to something that is pretty real. Did I get the promotion or not? Will I be making more money or not? Will I be able to pay my mortgage or not? They're very real, but they're also very subjective. And oftentimes what I've learned from clients and my own journey and all kinds of uh, self-help books and, and articles and podcasts and what have you, is that whether something is success or failure often depends on timeline. How far out into the future are you willing to look to compare or to assess whether something was a failure? So one of the popular stories told is about Steve Jobs and how Steve Jobs, I'm assuming you know who Steve Jobs is, was, and how Steve Jobs was fired from his own company by the board of directors. And he went on, you know, this whole self-discovery process and really had to go figure some things out about himself. And then eventually, after doing some, some other gigs elsewhere, was invited to take back over the company from which he had been fired, the company he started, right? So that's kind of a circuitous path, to say the least. But before we get too far away here, right, he has the capacity to recognize was this initial firing success or failure or both. Whoa. <laughs> hey, now, let's not get too tricky. Only got 20, 25 minutes. So let's, for today, shelve that last one. And for the sake of argument, recognize that through additional experience, we often begin to recognize that what we initially thought was failure turns out to be a prerequisite for us to be have for us to have later, bigger, more powerful success. That but for those early setbacks, quote unquote failures we wouldn't be able to mature or to grow or to see opportunity in a way that actually allows us to capitalize on that more nuanced way of looking at the world down the road. Now, based on the title of the show, right, my trauma won't let go. That is usually where I find people. And again, I don't mean necessarily trauma as in what would be on the evening news. It could just be, again, a quote-unquote bad experience, something that didn't go your way, but something that was meaningful enough that it left a mark on your sense of self and your view of how the world works. And so frequently, what ends up happening when I start working with someone is they talk about their trauma as though it's this external thing and how they just so desperately want to get rid of it, but it won't let them go. 
just keeps holding on to them. Like some sort of uh, really mean octopus. Got all these tentacles wrapped everywhere. And that causes me to ask questions. Is it really that your trauma won't let go of you? Or that you actually won't let go of your trauma? And you might be thinking, Sean, you're a dumbass. There's no way that somebody would willingly hold on to their trauma. Willingly hold on to something that is making their life harder. That's making it harder for them to have positive relationships. Making it harder for them to grow beyond the professional rut they find themselves in. Making it impossible for them to chase the dream that they've held in their heart for so long. Or the thing that they've held inside themselves at such a deep level. They want it so bad that they can't begin to tell anybody about it. But they'll never take action on it. Because the trauma is blocking them. So there's no way that they would hold on to that. That doesn't make any sense. Well, maybe. <laughs> but I'm in the business of dealing with things that don't make sense on the surface. Most of my days are filled with conversations with people who are highly intelligent, highly accomplished, highly educated, credentialed, experienced, etc., and who are doing the things they say they don't want to do. So that leaves us in a place where, okay, yeah, we have to explore things that don't make sense. Why would somebody hold on to their trauma when it can be so limiting? Well, for one, resentment, hatred, can feel very gratifying. I was wronged, whether that is sort of, you know, evening news kind of abuse or whether you got screwed out of a promotion that was, quote-unquote, rightfully yours, whether someone took the last parking space when they knew they saw you and they knew you were waiting for that, that last spot and they took it, God damn them. Yeah, you're laughing, but like, <laughs> we've all been there. We've all had that moment of, just, oh, I wish I could blow up that person's car. I mean, not really, but you know, in our anger, that's where we go. So it can feel very gratifying. It can feel very righteous. Mm. Yeah, get some. But there's something deeper, I think, that causes people to hold on to their trauma. And that is the very same sense of self. Or said in other ways, identity. We're holding on to our trauma we're holding on to our failures. We're holding on to our bad experiences. Because they are, we have allowed them to be interwoven with our identity. And from what I've seen, there tend to be two polarities here. One is that of victim. And the other is that of the tough survivor. And these are just 
rudimentary archetypes. I'm sure if we were to do a longer episode, <laughs> we could dive into all kinds of different cases. But for today, let's just look at these two, these two polarities. If we have experienced some kind of victimization, again, whether it's heinous, super intense, would be on the evening news kind of bad, or whether it's just something more mundane, we sometimes latch on to a victim mindset. I have been wronged, and I want other people to feel bad for me. And we get off on the attention, we get off on the care and the nurturing that people give when we're hurt. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't raise a flag when we are hurting. I've done way too many episodes on asking for help for me to take that stance now. I think that it is can be healthy for us to be able to ask for help when we're hurt. But there is a difference between asking for help when we're hurt and then continuing to just wallow in it. You know, if you, again, uh, last, uh, not last episode, uh, that was Mike Sorelli, good episode, by the way. But episode 113, I talked about this, this visualization of cutting your hand open with this really ghastly, rusted, bacteria-laden, you know, sh jagged shard of metal. So if we bring in the same imagery and we think about a physical wound, and if it's properly cleaned and cared for and nurtured, it closes, it heals. And on an emotional level, we have a pretty tight analogy there. If we clean our emotional wounds and we care for them and we have those that can help nurture our the wound and, and ourselves, we get to closure. We get to put something down. We get to let it go so it doesn't keep weighing on us. But when we wallow in our victim identity, and if we wallow in anything psycho-emotional, it's like looking at the, the wound that was on our hand, seeing that it's closed, it's not infected, everything is clean, we're good. But then you're just like, oh, my hand, oh, it was cut. It was cut. It's like, yeah, it was. <laughs> but it's not anymore. And so oftentimes, when I see individuals who are stuck in this victim mindset, they're indulging, they're, in all honesty, overindulging. And before you, you know, get too, like, uppity in the comments, I've done it too. And luckily, I have had... Parents and loved ones and friends who had the decency and the compassion to tell me, one, to point out the, the pattern that I was in, and two, to tell me to pull my head out of my ass. Because I was better than that. And so were you. So there are times when tough love is the most compassionate thing that we can receive 
forgive. And it's still love. Now, it may not feel good in the moment. It may not be like, oh, thank God that somebody told me to pull my head out of my ass. But it's the wake-up call that often reminds us and brings us back to and, and puts our attention back on what we are capable of. That we are strong. Or that we have the capacity to learn strength. To practice strength. Even if we don't necessarily feel it. The other way that, or the other end of this polarity that I've mentioned is that of the tough survivor. The tough survivor doesn't want you to feel bad for them. No, 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 no. That would be insulting to the tough survivor. The tough survivor, though, wants you to praise them. Did you see what I overcame? Did you see how hard that was? Are you checking me out? Look at what I've just done. Look at what I had to do for years. Look at what I put up with. Could you do that? And there's an element of gratifying the ego. And I don't mean it as in like, oh, you know, check out my badass car. But in the sense of what is my sense of self? And what is connected to validating that sense of self? Making it feel valuable, making it feel worthy, worthwhile. I had a client years ago, and in full disclosure, I pushed too hard on this person. And they pew, shot off like a bogey, never to return. It's a very valuable lesson for me in trying to match where my clients are at and then pushing them just a little bit. Not trying to get too greedy about all of this mindset mastery stuff, creating that amazing future. But this individual did have one of those childhoods that was terrible. Would most certainly, I think it actually was at one point uh, in the local news. And they had constructed a sense of self that was entirely the tough survivor. So much so that they would never allow themselves to acknowledge when things were really hard or when they were actively wounded. Going back to that imagery of the cut hand. So if we use that imagery in relationship to this particular client, they would be bleeding from the, the gaping wound in their hand and if I were to ask them how things were, they would say, all good. All good. Really? It looks like you just sliced your hand wide open on a super rusty, bacteria-laden, jagged piece of metal. <laughs> yeah, 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 all good. All good. And it occurred to me that in my attempt to get them to move beyond their trauma that I had pushed too hard because what I was actually threatening was their identity as a tough survivor. 
that everything had been built on that foundation, that things were going to be all good. Because to acknowledge how difficult things were in the present time would have been too much for the inner child, would have been too much for the actual child that the client had once been when they were in the midst of terrible things that they experienced when they were growing up. And it is these two polarities. And again, yeah, we could find other examples if we wanted to. But these are the two polarities that seem to come out the most. I'm either a victim, and I want you to feel bad for me, and I will not stand up on my own, because I learned a long time ago that it's way easier, at least <laughs> temporarily, in you know my capacity to kick the can down the road, for other people to take care of me, for other people to take care of things. So that I don't have to actually stand up and take responsibility. And then the other side, that tough survivor. And quite frequently, that tough survivor and the victim both engage in holding on to those resentments. It's just they come at it from different angles. And this is ultimately why I'm creating this episode is I know too many people from my time in special operations, from my time in the corporate world, clients, friends, people that I happen to meet. And this is like, uh, I guess, one of the curses of becoming a coach is you begin to look at all of your conversations in a different way. You listen in ways that you didn't previously. You begin to hear things, the subtext, what is written between the lines of what somebody is saying or not saying. What is it that they are presenting in public view? And I don't necessarily mean public as in front of a whole bunch of people, but you know, in conversation. What are they letting out versus what are they holding in? And my hope for you is that ultimately you do let go of your trauma. And that that potentially starts by really asking yourself honestly, is it truly that your trauma won't let go of you? Or are you somehow holding on to it? As always, I'm really hoping that these episodes are impacting you, that they're challenging you, and that ultimately they are useful and helpful because I want you to get to the most amazing life that you are capable of creating. So, it would be awesome if you would follow, subscribe, share it with people you care about. Or don't. Totally up to you. But until next time, take care of each other.